recording. Hello, this is Robert Yoho, and this is your Surviving Healthcare podcast, where we explore the problems with healthcare and with the related problems around the world. And today, I'm. It's a great pleasure to welcome a dear friend of mine, Sandy Sanderson, who is in uh, near Adelaide, Australia. Is that it? No, I'm no. in Queensland on okay. the Gold Coast, you know, which is similar to Florida. For Americans, it's a subtle difference. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, Sandy is going to tell us what's going on, boots on the ground in Australia, where she's lived her whole life and where she has her family and her business. And I, Sandy, I, it doesn't sound like a good story from over here on the other side of the Pacific Ocean. And I want you to go ahead and tell me what you what you know. Yes, it's, um, I think the whole world is finding itself waking up to a nightmare and the nightmare is real. Um, who'd have thought a couple of years ago that, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve would end up in a global coup d'etat in a sense. Um, and who'd have thought in Australia, I mean, we always thought of ourselves as the land of the free. We, we always followed like a puppy dog behind America. Um, and, and had a close relationship between the two countries for a long time. We, we share a lot of culture and ideologies. And, you know, we we're both formed from a whole bunch of immigrants from all over the world, primarily European, coming to, you know, build the country. Um, and so, so we inherited a lot of similar ways of thinking. And I think Australians mistakenly assume we have the same kind of rights that were enshrined in the US Constitution, but we don't. It's assumed. And you know, when you live inside a dictatorship, no one bothers to ask or investigate or change anything if everyone's having a reasonable standard of living and a level of freedom and things are working reasonably well. There's not enough challenge or crisis to make the problems well known or obvious. And, and I think that's what's happened with Australia. We were asleep at the wheel for too long because things were going very, very well. Um, and, and we, as a country, inherited, originally we were a colony of the United Kingdom, like Canada, and we inherited their constitutional umbrella, if you like. And so our court system was built upon how the United Kingdom court system works. And that was based on, you know, the Magna Carta and habeas corpus and a lot of um, very old institutionalized um, ingrained civil rights based on, you know, the Magna Carta's God-given rights of human beings, you know, not to, to be harmed, to have, you know, freedom to live your life in peace uh, and you know no one can do anything to you unless you commit a crime unless you hurt or harm someone else unless you do something against someone else you know if you live your life your way then you should be allowed to live your life your way without governments or other uh, organizations imposing their will upon you so we always thought we had those kinds of freedoms and and we did in the beginning, but um, we, um, we lost them gradually over time. And a lot of our legislation, apparently there are research, researchers finding that we lost 
our rights as legislation was changed gradually, decade by decade, starting more in the 60s and then more in the 70s. And as each decade rolled on, we, we weren't watching the legislative process removing our rights. And gradually everything was privatised and government institutions and even councils, our local councils were corporatized. They each have a business number and they have a CEO and they, they have to now report to the American Securities Commission and put their tax statements in and you know their, their profit and loss account. And so, so before that corporatization, we had councils which had elected um, representatives to make decisions on behalf of the people, but you know, they the people elected them to do a certain set of jobs and they would, you know, win their favor and be appointed as a council um, elective. And you know, they would have meetings and record the meetings and they would make decisions, you know, um, how's the garbage to be collected and you know, other, you know, roadways and <clears throat> access pathways and you know, whatever else council does. They um they did that on behalf of the people and were responsible to the people that voted for them. So if they did something wrong, that they would be called to account. So they had fiduciary duties, they had ethical and fiduciary duties to do the right thing on behalf of people that voted for them. And now we find ourselves in a situation where those entities were had been corporatized. Now there's a CEO, and the CEO can veto any. Um, council members' decisions. So if the council gets together and has a meeting and decides they want to do this and not that, spend money on this and not that, then the CEO can veto them. The CEO can make the final financial decision on behalf of the shareholders, whoever they are, how, how <laughs> the commercial interests. How long have you been aware that you no longer had a, either a representative democracy or any anything that resembled the United States? How, how long have you been aware of this corporatization? Because I think many of us in America are recognizing that these corporations represent some of the greatest evils we've ever seen because they, many of them are responsible to no one. I mean, they, they are responsible to make, make money and nothing else, no ethical uh, framework or anything else. The hospitals are largely nonprofit and they even have less um, oversight than the for-profits who at least have a board. But how long ago, because the last time I spoke to you, I don't think that this was had bubbled up in your consciousness. Uh, I, I had started to um, be introduced to the idea that something was going wrong maybe about 10 years ago. And this was, I don't know whether you've seen Agenda 21. So that was a um, program that was supposed to be installed globally in every country. And Agenda 21 was to, is a control mechanism for the new world order to be implemented. And when I first heard it, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, who's going to take that seriously? That can't be real. And then um, some other independent people and even some politicians started to look into it because what they were proposing was just too wild. And it was too wild and unbelievable. And but when you looked into it, some of these policies or things that they wanted to do were actually implemented in in legislation started to be incorporated but it wasn't advertised it wasn't publicly known you had to dig to find what was happening and 
still it didn't get traction in the media and people just ignored it because life was going well and nobody cared. You're the lucky country, right? Is yeah. that what they call you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, or the whole of last century, we were called the, the lucky country. It was, um, you know, we, we have a lot of resources. We have a big land and only 25 million people, although most of it's, you know, desert. And uh, most of the people live around coastlines where there's more rainfall. Um, but nevertheless, we, we, you know, in the middle of the desert, there's a lot of mining and they dig iron ore. And I think our biggest money generator in the country is now the iron ore that we sell overseas, in particular to China. Um, and for the making of steel, <clears throat> which was also, you know, that's a, our manufacturing bases were eroded away the last few decades with all the steel manufacturers started to close down and we used to have car manufacturing in Adelaide as you mentioned before and now that closed down in the last few years so we don't actually make these products for ourselves anymore we're we're doomed to at the moment import everything sell the resources sell the resources have them made overseas and imported back and then lose all the middleman margins. So we're not independent and they can charge whatever they like. For instance, if you want to buy a car, a new car, <clears throat> you're on a waiting list of about six months. And you can't get secondhand cars, used cars anymore. Because my, my daughter is actually a, mo- a licensed motor dealer. And she used to buy cars at auction and resell them Um. Uh, you know, put them through the maintenance and servicing and clean and clean them up and resell them. And there were always plenty available. If there was a, a hail storm, you know, there would be a big lot of insurance write-offs for hail damage and they would go to the auction. And then, you know, you could get some good deals and resell. Now there's nothing. All the, apparently almost all of the um, cars that go through an insurance assessment for damage are sold overseas for more money than what they could get within Australia, which is really, I don't know where they're going. I think places like Malaysia, Indonesia, um, all over the place, Solomon Islands, um, there are middlemen who just make more money selling them offshore and that's where they're going. Um, And so that's dried up the local supply. So you can't get um, secondhand cars are almost the same, like used cars are almost the same as new cars. And to get a new car, you have to go on the waiting list of six months and maybe you'll get it by then. And so it's people don't realise. So that's inflated all the all the prices of everything's gone through the roof. Not only is it hard to buy a car, and of course, petrol, fuel, gas has gone up enormously three times in the last couple of years. So our um, cost per litre is got went up to $2.20 it sunk back below the $2 mark but it's kind of vacillating and hovering and you know I can say like just a few years ago it was half that price and we thought that was really expensive (laughs) and that's inflated everything so in my business I I get uh, notices all the time almost every few months from the postal system the courier companies that we use I'm sorry, but we've had to add this fuel charge on. We've had to add this on. Now the costs are higher. Um, it, it's really hard to know. And when you're selling your products, it's hard to gauge whether you're still making a profit or not 
in the face of such rapid price rises and inflation going on because somebody from outside controls the supply. And now remember, Australia's had not only about three years ago, it was 2019, we had massive fires uh, on the East Coast, particularly in New South Wales, massive fires which decimated whole townships. For unprecedented fires, they said one in a thousand bad storm, fire storms where trees were igniting from the inside where the sap was exploding and the fire departments and the equipment that they had were in no way capable of handling the intensity of such firestorms. And so we had that a few years ago. And now, uh, uh, you know, since the last year, we've had in, uh, we moved into a La Nina, which is more of a wet weather cycle that goes for a few years event. And it's caused more excessive rain. So we hardly had a summer. So from December to January, February, March, I thought, where is the sunshine? We have like little glimpses in between. And then there's another week or two or three of constant rain every day. We can't see the sunshine. It's cloudy all the time, apart from those streaks that go back and forth <laughs> with those, well, Sandy, those funny I'm, aeroplanes. I, I'm, you know, the, I've, I've heard you uh, tell me something about um, your ideas about the uh, uh, climate control by outside forces and and uh, mechanistic uh, ways that the uh, that the and, and you sent me some references but I don't think we have to get too far into that right now I'm more interested in your uh, uh, freedom of speech uh, abrogation and all that and I understand that your central principle you don't have a constitution that um, makes freedom of speech the central principle no, everything can be vetoed. So um, the abrogation of our civil rights is becoming more obvious because even our most professional and high-ranking lawyers and barristers who thought we had a case last year to um, bring the um, New South Wales government and health department into line because they overstepped their mark, um, that, that was, um, no, that failed even though all of the law supported them, you know, that you can't infringe upon people's rights. You know, they took away rights. There were, there were no more rights of um, religious, you know, you can't abstain for religious reasons. You couldn't even for, for physical health reasons. If you had allergies, they cancelled all of that. And there was no um, going to be allowed, no, uh, you couldn't get out of it. And then then they allowed corporations and private businesses to force, uh, to mandate the, the vaccines, the jabs, or, or you would lose your job. And yet we had another section of, of the law which protected people's rights of employment so you couldn't discriminate against people this way. And that was still being used and promoted so we have the had these different levels of government that were contradicting one another because obviously it looks like they didn't have time to change all of the legislation and so the lawyers very cleverly brought all this stuff up and they even went back to you know our previous civil rights that they thought were still present even the lawyers assumed we could still rely on you know the magna carta and our basic human rights civil rights 
and yet not and it all failed we couldn't bring them to account and no one was culpable in that action and you know all of people's donations to the legal funding you know it was all consumed because they had to go through and then there was another appeal and another appeal and another appeal and so they delay it the more the longer they delay it another appeal at the cost keep rising until they play this game until the, the funds run out and people can't afford to keep prosecuting and trying to bring you know using legal methods the government to account so the government can reach a level of control where they have so much control and so much power that they control the 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 judicial system, and it's the they they make the we've seen it with um, um, Djokovic. You remember the tennis player, the world famous yeah. world champion, and he was given a a visa to come in and play and an exemption because he'd already had. COVID and he had his immune tests came out that he had the antibodies and so that's acceptable in many European countries and it was also supposedly acceptable for Australian governments who gave the authority and then um, on his landing at the airport they changed their mind while he was on the plane <laughs> they changed the law for by the time he landed they were, they arrested him and took him to a a refugee center and um prevented so he his lawyers went to court in australia and they they found that particular judge found that um the australian government was wrong in doing what they did and as far as djokovic was concerned he felt he did all the right things according to the visa was given the visa and all of that was legal and that um he should be allowed to play. And then um, the government repositioned themselves and came back with a different judge in a different court, forced Djokovic to uh, go to court again um, with a different ruling. And this different judge found that, no, he couldn't play and had to be deported immediately. So, so obviously not all judges are as influenced by government pressure, um, but some are. And I guess they know how to pick the ones that they want. Yeah. In, in America, the thinking is that the executive and legislative branch are severely compromised and that the, the courts uh, have some degree of integrity left. And indeed, some of these legal actions are still being, are still being litigated and won. But the problem is we face this incredible wall of money and wall of propaganda, this, uh, this toxic, quote, vaccine it's not just the most profitable drug in history, it's probably the most profitable product in history. It, just compare it to the revenues for the I, iPhone or Coca-Cola, for example. I mean, the, the net profit from this thing is just, it's insane. They haven't had to do any marketing because the governments have been essentially bought off to market the, the crazy thing for them. And it's, it's, I don't think I have to tell you how toxic it is and how crazy it is to ever uh, allow yourself to um, get injected with this stuff because, I mean that that tennis player didn't didn't need a mild case of myocarditis or a major major case of myocarditis to knock him out of the out of the rankings. So. Since since when has any one artificially created medical device or product been mandatable? Since when can you cover all 
bases all individuals and their individual circumstances with one product since when? No drug has ever had that privilege before. We have a wall of censorship in America, and we are hearing the, the mainstream media present the same thing over and over and over, almost word by word. And you mentioned safe earlier, and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. Yeah, yeah. It's like a robot. Just re- press the button and repeat. And uh, two months ago, when they shifted direction and started talking about the Ukraine, it, it was all the stories sounded like they were written by the same individual. Yes. So tell us about um, what it's like in Australia. And are you all listening to the alternative media, Rumble, BitChute, Getter, all these other things? Well, well yes, I am. And there's a growing group of people. Um, uh, you know, uh, you remember that um, that study that came out or that um, uh, time uh, called mass formation about yeah, mass the formation psychosis. Psychosis. Yeah. psychosis. So right. about thirty percent of the population usually smell the BS and and uh, are quick to go. Not not for me. And there's the the other extreme of the other thirty percent are totally um, hook dive in hook line and singer and be, sinker believe everything that the government and the media tells them and whatever the TV says that must be right. It's a form and of they, Stockholm syndrome. They, the yeah. people identify with the uh, the cap the cap the person who captivated them or ca- the person who captured them, so and then some, they do everything that they. Anyway, sorry to interrupt, Sandy. Yeah, so there's, there's a certain part of the population which, no matter what evidence you put in front of them, no matter what they see with their own eyes, that this overlay of this other let's call it a virus program. It's a virus program installed into their brain changes their perception of reality it's almost like a mental illness where you're living a a fantasy and to you that fantasy is real and you you know the hypnotist if you like can program that brain of hypnotizable people not everyone is hypnotizable but certain people are very much that way inclined and if the hypnotist says you know in the next five minutes your father will walk in the room but you won't see him you'll see straight through him to the other side. That's what happens. The father walks in the room and the person under the hypnosis cannot register that they're there at all. It's quite phenomenal. Some of the psychologists would call it cognitive dissonance theory. In other words, once you've accepted a certain point of view, it's very hard to change your mind. And frankly, the thing that's harder is to change somebody else's mind. (laughs) You know, we have a hard time changing. Go ahead. Then there's the middle 40%. So they're, they're the ones that they hedge their bets. They're like a little bit here, a little bit there, and they don't like to stir the pot, don't like to, you know, cause a disruption. They just want their lives to continue on as normal. Well, we'll just go along with it because it'll all be over soon. You know, that's the middle 40% until the S hits the fan and, you know, crisis increases and the crisis then comes to their doorstep. And they're faced with a big shock and a big calamity and a big catastrophe of some kind. You know, it might be financial disaster or might, you know, have being having your house completely flooded and losing everything you have. It might be some kind of disaster which slaps you in the face to wake you up and go, oh, I, I can't maintain my middle ground position anymore because something really unfair has happened. Yeah. And it's almost like, 
you know, it's your turn to be attacked, not somebody else down the road. And now it's time to stand up because, you know, you, it's in your face. So, so these are the people that can change, that can see from that slap in the face, you know, like that movie Moonlighting where she goes, snap like out of it. It's more like yeah. the movie The Matrix. Yeah. And then, supposedly yeah. when we once we convince people of what they're seeing, um, they're not going to go back to the delusion. So you were mentioning earlier something truly horrifying, which is the idea that they are testing out different degrees of control in different states or provinces of Australia. So how many of these provinces are there and how many different models do they have? And if you could describe that briefly, that'd be interesting. Yeah, so we have different states in Australia. There's the most draconian ones, and you may have already seen this with Victoria and the Premier down there, Dan Andrews, who's, who's very much like an apparatchik carrying out orders, like a lieutenant. From China? <laughs> Wherever, yeah. you know, World Economic Forum yeah. somehow connected with that agenda. And that Agenda 21 has now become Agenda 30. They've expanded it. So it's, it's obviously part of that um, global coup d'etat um, system, and they're testing it out. So they really came down hard on Victorians. And in Victoria, particularly Melbourne, the capital city there, that has a very large population of European migrants from last century and then more recently migrants from the Middle East, from, you know, Syria and Afghanistan and Iraq and, um, and then a lot of um, African communities and a lot of, you know, communities that have come from other war-torn areas are running from dictatorial regimes, but they they get it straight away. Oh, I'm under attack again. And it's almost like something clicks into their brain that they have to comply to survive and they can't stand up because they're in grave danger. So so they, these are, I think, more easily uh, controlled people. Yeah. Yes. Whereas those states that have been used to for a long time living free, um, they're the ones more likely to stand up and go, no, I remember it used to be really good here. You can't do this now. This is a new thing. I don't want it. <laughs> Queensland has always been a rebel state um, compared to the others. So, so, then, uh, so after Victoria, there's um, Western Australia and Northern Territory have been pretty draconian. And then after that, South Australia and then New South Wales, which, which has the capital city of Sydney. And then in Sydney, it's interesting because they target more the Western suburbs of Sydney, which again have this massive migrant population and refugee population. Yeah. Um, and then the eastern state side of Sydney which is the more upper class and well-off and more wealthy and and entrenched you know in their status quo they were kind of left alone or they didn't have such harsh treatment as the western suburbs of Sydney so you can see their approaches are very different to different regional areas and Queensland well they left us to last I think because we're a state which isn't highly centralized I mean our capital is Brisbane but nevertheless, most of the state's population is dispersed in a lot of coastal or country towns and they're smaller geographical. It's harder to control a lot of little areas compared to one big consolidated mass. So, Sandy, tell us what happened to your guns. 
just give give us a, a, a sketch. Uh, you don't have to go in a lot of detail, but tell us the date that uh, the, and what happened. Did they all vote yeah. to get rid of the guns or what? Yeah, so, so this was when um, John Howard was still the prime minister. I forget the date in the late 90s. We had a, a big um, um, catastrophic event in Tasmania where there was a mass shooting. We don't get a lot of we it's not normal in australia to have a mass shooting this was something that happens more often in america i hope it's not normal in the united states i think a we, lot of it's due to the antidepressant use which causes violence and suicide and it's ubiquitous so it's hard it's hard to pin it down for as a causal agent but that certainly yeah. seems to be my anyway so go ahead so, so this it, it looked very contrived um they they did a lot of things wrong the police in tasmania they they didn't accept all of the eyewitness reports and they waited three weeks to get eyewitness reports. And in the meantime, they put images of their suspected shooter on the TV and programmed people watching TV. He looks like this. And I've, there's a books being written by researchers who went into it in great depth on all the police files. And the guy that they set up has autism and he had blonde wavy hair and he was just there at the time and he happened to have a shooting license, but he had a quite a low IQ. He couldn't shoot straight or fast. Whereas the eyewitness reports who were in the cafe where it happened at the time said that the shooter came in and he was walking and turning and shooting while he was moving through the crowd and he was getting headshots exactly precisely. He was, skilled, he was, a he was very shooter. like yeah. a military operation. Yeah. It was like, and the guy had straight split hair ends. He got away. Like, like a surfy. Yeah. So, so the eyewitness visuals were conflicting and they didn't accept all of the eyewitness. They accepted the eyewitness reports, which were sort of, well, I guess he's like that. You know, How they many people started. Were killed? How many people were killed? Oh, I forget, but it was a big bloodbath, and only 20, only 30, forty people, something like that. Yeah, so there's a few that survived under the tables or underneath other bodies. Virtually. And this led in this led into a nationwide cry for gun control. Yes, yes. So then they promoted, see what happens when you let people have their own guns. Yeah, and so that's how they got the legislation through to to outlaw, um, and then well. But, but yeah, wheel yes. guns are still allowed. Revolvers are still allowed. Revolvers right? and, and shotguns. So if you're a farmer and you have a, a um, property producing, you know, farming and primary industry, and, and obviously those entities can have, you know, they've got issued wild boar. And, and, and you told me earlier that you were promoting your vegetable garden as a farm and you had gotten a shotgun license. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I. You told me you didn't have a single gun in your house. That's what you said. No, well, well, we, well, you can, you can get a shooter's license, yeah. as I said, if you have a primary industry property, and but other people can get one for sport shooting. So there are sport shooting associations which are tightly controlled, and you, yeah. you need to get your license, and you need to, um, I know, comply to certain regulations. I haven't looked into it. So I'm um, kidding. I'm kidding. You, the worldwide yeah. perception, though, is that our Second Amendment uh, is our final line of defense, even though the other 
um, U.S. constitutional amendments have been largely abrogated, including the freedom of speech, the rapid jury trial, and so on and so forth. We still have our Second Amendment. There's a strong support for that, and your your perception is that this makes a huge difference. It it does make a big difference um, when people feel empowered. So we outnumber them. So there's a lot more good people who just want to live their lives and in peace than there are the bad psychopaths and sociopaths and the criminals that have risen to the top to certain powerful positions or maybe have way too much money to spend on the wrong things. They're in the fewer, they're in a very small minority, but they have a lot of power and control through money, through banking um, and, you know, the pharmaceutical companies. There are uh, big industry whales that control trillions of dollars you know, and I think there are a lot of researchers that found these connections, these incestuous yeah. connections going through to BlackRock and Vanguard, in the, in the United, in the United the States, the two biggest global Black, com- companies. BlackRock and Vanguard control $25 trillion worth of assets, and they own each other. In other words, they have huge stakes in each other. So in, it's a yeah. rather monolithic group. And the, the leader of uh, BlackRock is a completely insane person named uh, Fink, I think his name is. And he's quoted... in in all kinds of oddball ways about this whole crisis. But it sounds like to me that you have no more clear idea of who's running the show than we do over here in the United States. I mean, someone seems to be controlling Biden and the, we, we hear these uh, globalists from the world economic forum. That sounds like Dr. Strangelove. You've seen that movie. I mean, they've got thick German accents and they spout this absolute insanity about owning nothing and being happy and all this nutty stuff but it's not clear what's going on here either but it seems like you're a little more behind the eight ball you sound like you're in worse shape than Canada frankly yes because we lost transparency and we lost accountability so government departments we don't even have an integrity commission for our federal government so if there is graft and corruption no one can bring them to account we have it in certain states such as New South Wales and they're pushing for an integrity commission in the federal government, but they're resisting, 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 and don't hold your breath. Um, and why would they be resisting? You know, it's logical. If you were being honest and you weren't stealing money from the tax coffers, then what's your problem with showing everything and being accountable and having independent auditors coming in and just rubber stamping that you're doing the right thing? What's wrong with that? Why hide? And so because they're able to hide, it's it's become a culture, it's become normal to steal money, to cover it up, because everyone else in that system is doing the same thing. So it corrupts even new people coming in from outside because they're going, well, they're doing it and yeah. they're doing it. What no. you know, because the system good people are made to do bad things in a bad system. The systems become corrupt. S- Sandy, in America, we have grave questions about our election integrity. And earlier in our conversation, before we went live, you were describing what's going on in yours. Can you briefly describe that and tell the the people over in America what what you think is happening in Australia? Yeah, so so the stronger a dictatorial regime gets, the totalitarian system, the stronger that gets, the harder it is for people to resist or stand up because we think we can we can get protection from the law. We think if we launch this legal appeal or this prosecution in the courts, 
that the law somehow protects us. And it's a rude shock when everything, all the evidence and the law points to the fact you should win and then you lose. So then what do you do? You realize you're in a dangerous environment and the government's not there to help you. The government is actually hostile. And so people of northern New South Wales, like Lismore, where the whole township was flooded, the water went up even to uh, above the roof line in some people's cases. It took 12 days for the government, the federal government, to send in military to help with helicopters to get people off the roofs. The locals had to pay privately to get other helicopters in and, and people who had jet skis or little, little outboard motorboats they were the ones helping each other so people could get off their rooftops. And unfortunately, some people died inside the roof cavities because the Sounds water horrible. rose too high. It was horrible. And then nothing appeared on the mainstream media. The only way we know about this is because of the eyewitnesses sending out their reports on social media. Tell us about If the they voting. weren't gagged. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the voting and how you think the voting has been. So, so voting in the past has been uh, much more or less a paper thing in Australia. We, they, they set up booths and facilities in schools, local schools. And on the voting day, you go and, you know, you get marked off the roll and you get a piece of paper and you go into the booth and you, you number your boxes and you put that in the box and then they physically count it. At the end of the day, scrutinizers come in and we have to do that all in one day. It has to be all counted during the night and the finished results presented in the morning. It can't go over a number of days. So they have to have enough resources to do all the counting. And that they are allowed to have scrutinizers to watch to make sure the counting's done properly and the votes, the paperwork is filled in the right way and not just... You know, if it's yeah. scrib scribbled on, they can't count it for anything. The scrutinizers have to make sure the counters are doing the right thing and counting it the right way. But recently they have allowed, I heard phone in, a phone, in, phone, right? phone, in, sorry? Votes. phone, phone in, in votes. Phone in votes because some people are still in outlying areas and the flooding and they can't get yeah. to the election places and you know there's the elderly and people in aged care and all sorts of reasons and excuses why are fine in voting but you know how are you going to protect against crime where people steal identities and pretend they're someone else and call in the vote uh, so there's way too much potential for um vote rigging and you know things i know that the current government if they were counted, votes were counted properly, they wouldn't get in. They're very much on the nose. You can see when they're doing their election campaigning now, because we're heading for a federal, federal election 21st of Joseph May. Joe Freeman, ER Dr. Louisiana. They, they, um, they throw eggs and, you know, hurl abuse. And if people are, their own party members, meant a lot of them have been resigning, saying they can't in all conscience continue to defend how the parties behave, they're resigning their secure positions in that area that they've had for years and they could continue to have uh, and they just can't do it in, in those ones that have conscience. So they haven't been, the reason they waited till very late to call the election is because they didn't have people to fill those areas with new candidates. 
So I don't know what they've done in the in in the meantime. Very recently, they've thrown somebody in there, I guess, to fill those spaces. But this kind of avalanche is very unusual at this late time. Yeah. So I can't I can't see, in all honesty, that they would be winning the next election. However, you know. Anything can happen. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't sound very hopeful, Sandy. Um, you told me another message earlier that you didn't think Australia could save herself. And that was the saddest thing you told me. But if you can just repeat that uh, for a moment, and then we can go into how um, the listeners can, uh, all about your business and how they can contact you. Yes. So you mentioned before about Stockholm right. Syndrome. I think a lot of people in Australia <clears throat> are suffering from those kind of abuse um, they're identifying with the methods capture. yes yes so it's a control mechanism so so they so the abuse happens which in, in on a population level we can call it the lockdowns the lockdowns were the abuser abusing the victims and and the, making them prisoners and abusing them while they were prisoners and and also the fear rhetoric every day on the tv fear 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 and um Depend also on the strong fear. leader. Go to the strong leader and listen and let him direct your action. That's yes, what yes, the yes. fear is all about. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So just sign on the dotted line. Do what you're right. told. Do what the the message is. Follow the orders, and you'll be safe. Right. Yeah. Well, we know that that's a fiction. Yeah. By the way, um, people were told by the media weather bureau broadcast the night before the <clears throat> the biggest part of the flood. Oh, it's okay. The rivers are subsiding. The rain subsiding. No need to evacuate. This was for Lismore, and they went to bed. And at three or four in the morning, they had one of the biggest rain bombs come down and woke up with their beds flooded and the water rising. Um, so they should have really been evacuated. Had they have not followed the orders, they would have been in safer areas during that night time. So you can't really go with what the media tells you, what the government edicts are, because now we live in a hostile environment where you have to question everything, where you have to be sceptical, where you have to do your own research, where you have to find out what other people are saying, what other reports there are. You have to look further afield. You can't assume that what the government, what the media are telling you is right and it's for your benefit and for your safety because we've seen, in fact, it's not in some cases. And so we have to, so we live in a time of fear and this is part of that agenda. You don't know what's going to happen. The rules change every week. There's danger, danger from the environment, danger from COVID, danger from new variants, danger, 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 danger from war. Now the Russians are going to get you hide under your bed. You know, it's just nuts. It's the worst nightmare ever. I don't think a movie, a worse movie could have been created by Hollywood. Well, Sandy, that was a, articulate summary and uh, and we're all rooting for you uh, we we've got another big problem right in our northern border and oddly enough Mexico seems to have retained some sanity uh, despite uh, being it seemed like it was much less stable place before so I'm going to tell my listeners about you just for a moment Sandy has managed to continue in her business uh, throughout this uh, difficult time and she she promotes one of the two most valuable vitamins or, or supplements um, that anyone can take. And that probably the most important is vitamin D, which we've learned about during the, uh, the quote pandemic or the pandemic or whatever it was, because an adequate vitamin D level probably would have prevented 
half or more of the serious, the fatal and the hospitalizations and so on and so forth. But the second most important supplement is magnesium. And Sandy uh, has, she sells several different kinds of magnesium and um, she is a great advocate of um, topical or skin surface magnesium because when you take too much oral magnesium, you can get a lot of uh, diarrhea and, and stomach upset. So um, can you, before we launch into the topical magnesium thing for a moment, can you describe, is it magnesium 308 better? And are there other oral forms of magnesium that you like better than just the magnesium sulfate? So um, I deal with a lot of health practitioners who prescribe supplements and their favorites seem to be a magnesium um, glycinate, magnesium chlorate. So these are... Um, uh, magnesium joined to an amino acid. So that's the other side of the compound. And it's often the case that we need some more glycine and we need some more taurine and we need some more whatever that other part is. Um, but when they join it together, you still have to orally digest it in the stomach because a lot of people don't make enough stomach acid. And so the digestive system fails for a lot of people. Even with the high quality ones, only some of that magnesium gets through the bowel wall and a lot of it still is eliminated by the digestive system. So, um, you know, but, you know, if you want to take your magnesium citrate because it's really good for your bowel elimination and, and, and it helps you with constipation, go ahead. It's, it's great because we can't afford to have the wastes clogging up because that causes more disease. So it's really good to make sure the digestive system is working well, the elimination and detoxification system is working well because that's the two major things in life which preserve good health is the ability to eliminate waste and toxins at the same time to put in good nutrients so we can build new cells and fuel the electrical nervous system so our energy so plugging into the powerpoint so i would say the magnesium is the number one um, most important mineral to the whole body because it's fundamental to the electrical system and to metabolism. Mitochondria can't make our electrical energy, ATP, without enough magnesium. And then without enough magnesium, we can't make enough vitamin D, which you mentioned, which is very important for the immune system and the brain and bones. And vitamin uh, D so is actually a steroid hormone, not a, not a mineral. Yeah, I know, but we call yeah, it a yeah. vitamin. But, yeah, uh, yeah. but yes, it's a hormone and it relies on you know cholesterol. So that's that's a good fat to be made and so it needs the good fats it needs magnesium and then you know you can make a good supply if you go out in the sunshine and the sunlight interacts with the skin barrier and it uses the magnesium and the cholesterol sulfate to to make the vitamin d which sits inside the skin barrier and then is absorbed gradually over time so so don't wash off your um your, you know, when you go in the sun, don't rinse your skin straight away because you need to give it time to penetrate. So, so we need magnesium to recover from stress. And this is why it's really important these days. To, people are under stress, even though they don't realize it. It's subconscious stress. So every time you listen to the news and or, you know, thinking about what am I going to do to survive, um, if, you're not, if you're awake at night, you're not getting enough sleep, there are many types of stress that can severely deplete our magnesium and the lower the magnesium gets the weaker the immune system which is why we tend to get sick after a lot of stresses or traumas 
it, it produces disease because we get weaker over time. The skin, the hair, the nails, the bones, the teeth all rely on magnesium to regenerate tissue and make it stronger. And if you're constantly depleting magnesium, you're making your whole system weak, the immune system gets weaker, and eventually disease sets in. So I look at magnesium as our cell defender. Yeah, and, I've, I've yeah. known about magnesium for uh, two decades. And it is, I, I have no financial relationship with Sandy, uh, but I, I do know how important magnesium is. And her um, topical or skin surface magnesium allows a reservoir of magnesium, which gets very slowly absorbed. Now, her uh, platform, you can find it electromagnesium.com.au. It's E-L-E-K-T-R-A-M-A-G-N-E-S-I-U-M.com.au. And she sells a variety of products. And I think she has um, people who also sell this stuff in the United States. And Sandy was kind enough to send me um, some samples, which I've been using on my wife, and it's made her a little less ferocious. <laughs> Did I say that? That was not politically correct. No, it calms, yes. it calms you down and it helps you sleep at night. It does. That's the first thing you feel that it makes you feel calmer. It's a really great comforting mineral. It makes us feel safe and cozy and calm. And that puts you into a better state to get a better night's sleep because magnesium and studies have shown this several studies dampens down adrenaline. So when you so when you have a fight or flight response, your adrenaline pumps and calcium shoots into the muscle fibers and just and for contraction and you're ready to to run or fight or whatever. But and that's called the the sympathetic mode. Sorry. That's called the sympathetic mode. So, so when, but when we don't have enough magnesium to, to move in when it's time to relax, we can, we can get stuck in that stress mode. And so we need magnesium to dampen that system down to move back into the parasympathetic, which is rest and digest, which is where we digest properly, we sleep better. Um, that's where cells regenerate and renew. So we need magnesium Decreases for recovery. Cardiac decreases cardiac arrhythmias too. If you have cardiac arrhythmias, it may be beneficial. They use it for um, interruption of labor and because it calms down the muscles in the uterus um, and only using large doses intravenously, but that's just a side note. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, you can avoid needing it intravenously. Yes, they can save your life if you're having a heart attack and your magnesium levels in the blood goes down too low. They can quickly restore the heart muscle with enough magnesium, but why wait for that bad crisis when every day you can just top your levels up and not need to let it get that bad in the first place? S Sandy, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I, I, I haven't spoken to you for several months and it doesn't sound like things are getting better in Australia, but uh, we all have to maintain hope and we have to fight because as I always put it, our feet are in the alligator's mouth and the alligator is not going to have sympathy if you stop kicking him in the head. Yeah, we, we're really into survival mode. We need to help each other. So the learning curve in my book, the way I see it, is that this is a, a, a test, a challenge, and this is to make us and shape us to be better, to be more awake, alert and aware, to be more responsible, to be more adult, to take responsibility and to help each other and to together we can make we can stay strong we can survive we can share information already i know people that are taking food supplies 
down to the people that are still um, without a home and the flood areas in evacuation centres, living in tents. There are old people, young people, elderly living in tents in these areas still, and you don't see anything covered on the mainstream media. Uh, nobody knows the devastation. It looks much worse than Ukraine. All the pictures coming out from Ukraine, the rubble, the devastation, this is like a massive earthquake over hundreds and hundreds of square kilometres of area, devastated written off people can't live there anymore horrible horrible stuff and the only people helping are other community members for free donation volunteers and and you know it's heartwarming to see but here we paid all our taxes away to get resources and help and government institutions and you know help from nothing's coming it's just a token gesture for a media photo op and then they go again this is not acceptable so it's if people want to make changes they have to do it themselves it's up to us sandy i'm grateful for your time and if we you have some resources where uh, my listeners can donate um we'll put that in the show notes so Okay, thank you, thank well, so I will find out because we have to research everything. And, you know, you know, when you get those Red Cross appeals, often you find only 5 10% actually gets to the right destination. So That's we right. have to be careful of who you donate to, yeah. make sure it's not a scam. So um, if, I, if I give you anything, be sure that I've looked into it very deeply. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we, we love our Australians, especially we, lo- we love our Sandy electors. So thank thank you so much for your time, and we'll stay in close touch, and hopefully yeah. we'll we we're not going to experience an apocalypse together. Things will get better. They will, they will, because of people like you and 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 other people, you know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and we have so many really the amazing Bregans. heroes, yeah. the Bregans, uh, and I love them all. Ten Penny, uh, the, there's just so many really good people, so brave. Um, I admire them. They're, they are my real heroes. And um, and we need to make each other more heroes and we need to be brave like them, I think. I'm, I'm a little bit of a scaredy cat, but, <laughs> but I look at them as an example and that gives me some um, courage and some, you know, and I, and I think to pray as well. I think more people are finding they got, they're going back to talking to God, which they forgot to do for a long time. So I think that's a good you know, when you're at the bottom and there's a disaster all around you and you feel you can't cope, you know, there's nothing left. Then then people go, okay, God, I'm back. <laughs> and then things work work better. <laughs>